And so grateful that we can come before you now on this Yom Teruah, this Feast of Trumpets, to honor you, to learn more about what it is, and to come willingly one day when you will take us, those who are faithful, into your arms for an eternity. We pray that you'll be with us now. Let the Spirit move in our hearts and minds that we might have a better and a truer understanding of you through this feast day. This prayer and petition we ask in Yasha's name. Hallelujah. And you may be seated. Well, welcome to the first feast of the seventh biblical month. Looking for the thin crescent last night was a real marathon event. For those out there here and abroad, wherever they might have been, uh, we we were looking for a new moon that was at the limits, the very limits of the, all the criteria we used to establish a framework in which to find the moon. It was low, it was quick, and we didn't see it here, but thankfully Yahweh allowed six more others to see it down in Texas. We've been through a long dry spell, <laughs> literally, As far as the rain goes, the temperature is like 95 all the way through the summer, starting in May. A long dry spell also in the spirit realm, because Pentecost was our last feast day. And it's natural to drift away when you don't have close association, when you don't have close contact with something or someone. I saw my old high school buddy after many decades at a reunion, only one I ever had, and I had no clue who he was. I mean, think about it. People change. Uh, a lot of people really change, but uh, he really changed. We were talking about uh, driving up here. We have one of our, our trucks we keep in the garage because of the cost of gasoline, so it sits there for weeks, and you know, when you let a vehicle sit for a while, it just doesn't want to run right till it gets warmed up and, and used. Same thing happens spiritually. If we don't renew that spirit, if we don't renew that constant communion with Yahweh, we get rusty spiritually as well. It's no wonder that Yahweh demands regular, committed communion with him consistently with the Sabbath and the feast days. He knows all too well that we humans are very good at forgetting. We need frequent exposure. We need a constant communion with him. So he gives us seven annual feast days broken up through the years to come before him and get recharged spiritually. And just as with anything involving humans, without regular maintenance, it'll eventually deteriorate. Look at Israel. It didn't take long after all those blessings he gave them, all the miracles that he gave them to get out of Egypt and to get to the promised land. And it wasn't long before they forgot all of that and started complaining. So we need periodic reunions with Yahweh to be strong and remain true to him and strong in the faith. He also uses his feast to draw us together, to bring us close to him. I think people that read about the feast, hear about the feast, but don't do anything about it, don't get this. This is the part they don't get. We need 
that association. We need that strength that we draw from each other. We need that spirit that guides us and we can share with others and they can share with us. These are Yahweh-commanded observances, just as important as binding as the weekly Sabbath. Or the nine others in the commandments. So if you're not going to keep these, you understand they're important, you realize they're, they're necessary, you might as well just go ahead and start robbing. You might as well start, start bearing false witness, coveting, worshiping Buddha, because you're forgetting the, the law. You break one, you break them all. Moses got all the law that was put in the ark. All the law he brought down. When we ignore or treat his laws and feast lightly, Yahweh himself feels it and remembers it. And that is why Paul said in Acts 18.21 to those in Ephesus, I must by all means keep this feast that comes in Jerusalem. He was adamant. It was urgent. He had to keep the feast that comes in Jerusalem. He was driven by this desire. And in 2016, we read, For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia. For he hasted, if it were possible, for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. Paul mentions the feast days 34 times, believe it or not. 34 times. Oh, he did away with the feast, really. Sure, uh, had either a bad memory or uh, he, he was pretty urgent that uh, they're important. Make a mental note of that for the next time you encounter the gainsayer. He says, well, Paul did wear the law. Oh, how about the 34 times he talks about the feasts? Uh, has that been abolished? What's the point? Many like to make much of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. We hear it a lot out in churchianity. I have the Spirit and this and that. Spirit, talk to me and all this and that. But they never figure out what one of the primary jobs of the Spirit is. Ezekiel 36.27 says, I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments. And do them. Are they doing that? I have a big problem with it. For those that say they have the Spirit and are guided by the Spirit when they don't obey Yahweh. How does that work? When they don't consider Yahweh's laws and his judgments. And even resist obedience. That shows something to me about an absence of spirit in their life. You know them by their fruits, the word, word tells us. See, what we do now, brethren, in this life is for all the marbles. When it comes to closing time, many will wish they had followed Yahweh more diligently. Like Lazarus and the rich man. Rich man looks up, sees what his, his future is or isn't, and cries out. It's too late. Many are going to be kicking themselves for not checking things out sooner when they heard it. And when others conformed to the word, they had the example and didn't do anything about it. And really think about it. A saying goes, waste your money and you're out of money. Waste your time and you lost part of your life. So if you know it, why don't you do something about it? 
when you read these things in the scriptures, in the New Testament, supporting the Old Testament as it does, why don't you do something about it? That's a question I guess we can ask until Yasha comes. So let's zero in on this new moon feast called Trumpets. No call to gather quite matches what we find in the Feast of Trumpets. When the trumpet blows, everyone is expected to respond. A special urgency surrounds the Feast of Trumpets. That trumpet blowing pierces the air. And you realize something very critical is happening. Everything we as believers do or don't do has consequences in the here and now. And more importantly, of course, for the future. This truth we share is given to us as a sacred trust. So we do our best to get it out there the most effective way we can. Sharing it with others when we talk to them and explain why we worship a little differently than most. Because we follow the whole scripture and that defines our worship like nothing else. The word becomes part of our lives. If we don't live our faith, we don't honor Yahweh's demands, then our faith is no faith at all. One person said he had learned all that's possible from the scriptures. You can't tell him anything new that he didn't know. That's, that's so much baloney. That just shows that he doesn't know the scriptures. There's always more to learn. Some say they have the basics down, and so that's enough. Like the rich young man in Matthew 19.17 who asked Yahshua how to be saved. How can I be saved? And Yahshua says, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he says, which? I've done all these things since I was a kid. You know, Yasha ticked off about six of them. Well, I've already done that. It's almost like he was, he was boasting. I've already done all that. I must have salvation. And Yasha said, uh, I'm afraid you've got to do something more. You've got to sell all you have and follow me. Well, he had a problem, of course. He had a problem with that. Because he, uh, he had an idolatry thing with his, his, uh, what he owned. If you want to be perfect, he says, Yasha tells him, sell your possessions. And he walked away thinking, mm, I can't do that. So we tell those who say, well, I've, I've got it all under my belt. You, I know everything. You're not teaching me anything. If that is true, I've never met a man that knew everything, and I don't think I ever will. But let's go along with it. Okay, if that's the truth, then live it. And not only that, teach it. And not only that, teach it by your life. Teach others. You've got a lot more work to do. You just got yourself, obviously, in, in some good situation. Now go out and teach others. Show them. Each time you open the word, you're going to learn something. You will. If you're really sincere and you really want to learn, you will find out there's things in there you never, never knew before. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of Yahweh. It's profitable for doctrine, for, for uh, maybe I should read it. <laughs> I know what it is. I just, uh, I'm just afraid... Uh, I won't be able to see without my glasses here. Um, Paul told Timothy to search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. All scripture is given by inspiration of Yahweh. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, 
that the man of Elohim may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all, all good works. All good works. So, get into the word. We have two Bible studies every week here at YRM. Two hour-long Bible studies, one on the Sabbath and one on Monday morning as we start our, our work week. When we delve into the word and either one of those, it's amazing how much we learn, all of us, how much we learn. Things we never saw before, some new connections we never made before because as you build on knowledge, that knowledge helps you even more, build more knowledge because now you have a better understanding. It's a living book. The great law psalm, Psalm 119 and verse 103 says, How sweet are your words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through the, your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. He's applying what he's learning when he says that. Every false way. That word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you've been dragging your feet, time to get going. Time to listen to the trumpet call and get moving. Start applying the Bible to your life. Quit wasting time. You're wasting your life. You're not going to get it back. Every minute you waste is gone. Yahweh showed Moses in Numbers 10 the way to get the Israelites to react, to gather, to move, and it was through the blasts of the trumpet. The trumpet was commanded. It was the premier way to get Yahweh's people together, to gather, organize, and then get moving. And it will also be how Yahshua will return when this, to this earth when it's announced by the trumpet. And we'll know now, now Yahshua's here. Not all these false people who are saying, well, he's all, like the Bible says, don't, don't believe it. They say he's over here in the wilderness or out here in the desert. Don't believe it. They're not going to be able to duplicate Yahshua's return from the sky with a trumpet sound that blasts around the whole world in a unique sound we've never heard before. When Israel heard it at Mount Sinai, they were shaking in their boots. They didn't want to go near that mountain. The whole thing shook. Imagine. When Yasha returns, you're going to hear that sound. I need a, let's see if I can get a list of uh, all the different ways. There we go. It worked. All the different ways that the trumpet was sounded in the scriptures. First of all, the law was given to Israel, the sound of the shofar. And it's either shofar or trumpet. Both of them are used in Exodus 19.19. Israel, with the blast of the shofar, destroyed the city of Jericho, as we know. Marched around it seven times and walls fell flat. I have a feeling the falls didn't just go that way. I have a feeling they sunk into the earth. I mean, if you're going to have these big, big boulders and rocks and so forth, and you're going to attack the city and you're going to have to stumble over that to get there, I think it just went down straight down. Anyway, it's my own theory. The return of the Messiah will be announced with the sound of the shofar, Zechariah 9.14. The shofar will be blown at the time of the ingathering of the exiles of Israel to their place. Isaiah 27 says, The shofar was blown to signal the assembly of the Israelites during war. And that was one of the primary uses of the shofar, the trumpet blast, is to prepare for war. 
The shofar was uh, used for the coronation of kings. I think that's where the, we see, you know, we see the British when they get their kings and the, they blow these trumpets, do 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 and the coronation and so forth. I think I, they get it from the scriptures, probably. The watchman who stood upon Jerusalem's wall blew the shofar to warn them of an enemy coming. The shofar was blown at the start of the Jubilee year. And uh, we're not sure when that is, but uh, maybe we'll find out. If, if Yahshua returns at that time or, or the sabbatical, I have a th- belief that it's going to be one or the other to release the captives. You know, it makes all perfect sense. Captives from this world and sin. And then we have the shofar, a reminder that Yahweh is sovereign. That's in Psalm 47.5. The ram's horn, the shofar, is a reminder of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac and Yahweh's provision of a ram as a substitute, Genesis 22.13. There's, there's at least 16 of these, by the way. That's how important the shofar, the, the trumpet was. The shofar was blown to announce the beginning of the annual feast, Numbers 10.10. The blowing of the shofar is a signal for the call to repentance in Isaiah 58.1. The blowing of the trumpet, the shofar, ushers in, of course, the day of, of Yahweh when he returns, at Joel 2. The blowing of the shofar is sounded at the resurrection of the dead, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Yahweh is going to raise the dead first, the dead in Messiah there in the first resurrection at the Sound of the shofar, the blast, when Yahshua returns. And the Holy Spirit pulls all these who are faithful to Yahweh to be in the first resurrection. John heard a trumpet-like voice when given the prophetic vision, Revelation 4.1. And seven shofarim, plural of shofar, are sounded when Elohim judges the earth during the tribulation. So when Israel heard the sound of the trumpet... They had to get moving. They didn't just sit around and, oh, what's that? They had to move. They had to get their tents down. You can imagine a couple million people get their tents down, get their animals together, uh, gather their children, put the old folks in their walkers or whatever they used, and started to line up and get ready to go. I'm going to talk about later at the feast just how many, how, how two and a half million looks. You won't believe it. You won't believe it, how, what kind of a line that makes. It's, it's, uh, and, and they said, and, and Moses went out and harnessed, it says. He went out like a, like a well-oiled army. They all knew what they were supposed to do, and they did it. They had to, rather than stumbling over each other and never got out of Canaan, uh, yeah, of, uh, of the uh, Canaan where they were. Numbers 10, make two trumpets of silver. Of a whole piece shall you make them. Isn't that interesting? How can you make... <laughs> I can't even imagine not being very skilled at making things. You make a trumpet in one piece. You got to drill it out. You got to put the... I don't know how they did it, but they did. And uh, I understand shofars, by the way. One, one piece of tabernacles, we had a shofar class. We all built one. And... What I understand is most of them are straight, and they have to soak them and then twist them. They don't all come twisted like that. So, and then they had to drill them out somehow, at least clean them out. 
So anyway, therefore the calling of the assembly, Numbers 10 says, and for the journeying of the camps. This is the way they got the message. So a, a trumpet sound can really send. I mean, it goes way out there. They didn't have speakers. They didn't have electronics. They didn't have a way to get the cell phones, nothing. But they used the trumpet, and everybody recognized that. Two important purposes for the trumpet. The silver trumpets, the kakatsarah in Hebrew, along with the shofar, it was their communication system. We hear the people say, get them on the horn. Well, that's that a literal meaning in Israel. Here are examples of what the trumpet sound meant to Israel. Numbers 10, verse 3. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to you at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And if they blow but one trumpet, then the princes, which are heads of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves unto thee. So the leaders would go at the sound of... Uh, uh, one trumpet. If you blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east part shall go forward. When you blow an alarm, and I don't exactly know what an alarm means, and I've heard people blow the trumpet different ways, toot toot or uh, toot 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 or whatever, there's something, some sound there that uh, they would know and recognize. The one on, ones on the east will go forward. When you blow an alarm the second time, then the camps on the, on the south side shall take their journey, and they shall blow an alarm for their journeys. To call the leaders forward, to call the army to gather, to march forward to war, all done with a trumpet. This has implications, of course, if you think about it, spiritually. Spiritually. Preparing. Preparing our lives. Get us in the right mode, get us in the right, going in the right direction. That's what the trumpet does for us, like at the Feast of Trumpets. It's a time to gather, time to start focusing on Yahweh and get the things ready in our lives that we need to do. The trumpet meant action, movement, pick up and go. No time to waste. Go, go. The guy sits there in his tent and says, I'm just, I'm not feeling it. And everybody leaves and guess what happens to him? Here comes the, the enemy can't even imagine. No doubt Israel would train their children to recognize certain blasts on the different trumpets. They would know immediately what the sound meant. I have no doubt that when we hear that one-of-a-kind sharp piercing blast at the return of Yahshua, it'll be like nothing else we've ever heard. Can you imagine the power behind that and how it's going to wake up the whole earth? We'll know that Yahshua's appearance is imminent. It'll be quite different from thunder. I've heard some pretty drastic thunder, especially if you live out in Kansas, you really hear that. It echoes across the, you just hear the crack all the way until it disappears. This is going to be something like that, but probably a hundred times more. It's a sound you'll never forget. Sharp and piercing. If the false Messiah to appear at the end times could duplicate that, then we have a real problem, but there's no way he can duplicate that. But he would deceive many if he could. Now notice verse 7 of Numbers 10. But when the congregation is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but you shall not sound an alarm. And this means, of course, on the feast days, the Moedim. And this feast day, 10.10. Also on the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginnings of your month, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings, over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, 
that they may be for you a memorial before Elohim. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Gladness. Your gladness. What does it mean that? Well, happy feast, solemn days, equals Moedim, beginning of months and new moons. That's what this day is about. It's a, it's a rejoicing time to uh, come before Yahweh. It's uh, a time of, uh, well, well, we'll get into it in a minute. Basically, there are three words in the Hebrew from which translators derive the words feast and feast. First, and we're familiar with this and probably most, the Mishta in 4960 in Strong's uh, Hebrew dictionary, it means simply to eat a meal or to have a banquet. We do that after every Sabbath service. We have a Mishta, a banquet, a, a meal together, a fellowship meal. Abraham had a Mishta in Genesis 21.8, when Isaac was weaned. Kind of strange. I always thought that was kind of strange. They weaned his, his son and they have a celebration? I don't know. Strange thing. But Queen Vashti made a meal for the women of the house in Esther 1.9. Samson made a meal as well. No spiritual significance, just a dinner. Fellowship over food. They did the same in the New Testament. Yahshua sat down with his disciples, and they ate. We hear about it. You know, John's leaning on him, the one he loved. And the, the Romans always lay, lay down when they ate. I don't know what the significance of that is, but I guess it uh, makes you extend the, the, the meal if you're not in the right position. But anyway, uh, it's not a worship service. It's just a meal, a fellowship-type meal. Then there's kag, which is, its verbal root is kakag, which means to observe a festival, make a festive pilgrimage. It's numbers 2282 and 2287 in Strong's Hebrew Dictionary. One reference says kag, the normal Hebrew word in the Old Testament translated as feast, means basically a pilgrim observance and is used almost exclusively in that sense. Its underlined verb, hachag, means to make a pilgrimage. So when we're talking about the feast, we're talking about moving somewhere, going somewhere. We don't observe it in our backyard. We don't set up a tent and say, oh, I'm keeping peace tabernacle by myself. That doesn't fit the definition, and that doesn't fit the purpose. Now, Passover was kept in the home, but that's the only one we see. rest of them, they're to come together and three times a year, go. Go to Jerusalem. Go to a special place. Yahweh has placed his name. The basic underlying meaning of the word feast in the Old Testament is an observance where people travel to gather at a specific location. That's what Chag means. Gather to seek the face of Yahweh. How can we do that if we stay at home and Keep it there. The third word is moed, a 4150, a fixed time or season, an appointment, a specified time when people assemble to worship. There again, it's a coming together. It's not a deal you do alone. It's not a, it's not a maverick event. Specified time. So the, the word feast, of course, is moedim, the plural, it's used notably in Genesis 1.14. Let me get to 
to that. <coughs> Elohim said, let there be lights, mayor, luminaries, in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Remember that, that uh, creation began in the dark. The dark, and then came light, and that starts the day. You go from dark to light. So, uh, and let them be for signs. That, that is things to come. Hebrew off. How? Could it be because these luminaries uh, regulate the feast days, which are prophetic? And for seasons, Moed, and for days and years. It all ties together in a beautiful harmony. Psalm 104.19, he appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows his going down. Now, moon is from Kodesh, as we learned last night, meaning the new moon crescent. The new moon crescent. Seasons is Moed, meaning festival, assembly. Translators should have known better than to say the moon sets seasons. How does that work? The sun, maybe, but not the moon. The moon sets months, not spring, summer, and fall, winter. So they goof that one up. So Yahweh announces his set times and calls his people forth with a trumpet. Both kinds of trumpets are used for the feast, the silver and the ram's horn, the shofar. From Lightfoot's temple service, we get some insight into how the trumpets were actually used being at least 2,000 years away from it, we have to learn from history. The priests blew the trumpets separate from the Levites. Priests and Levites are not the same category. The priests are different from the Levites. Levites was a tribe, and the priests did the things at the temple, the the, uh, uh, sacrifices and so forth. The trumpets were blown within regulated pauses of vocal and instrumental Music, kind of like we use the trumpets, added, adding to our songs and so forth. Both kinds of trumpets were blown at the Feast of Trumpets. It was a day filled with blowing trumpets. Blowing trumpets, everywhere you go, somebody got a trumpet in your face and blowing it, blowing it. That's what it's about. Well, today we're observing a feast specifically, specifically calling together, called together with trumpets. It's also a new moon day, announcing the seventh new moon of the biblical year. And that's why it was so important that we confirmed it last night as we projected it. And if we didn't, as we also learned last night, all the feast days would be set back a day. But it worked. And hallelujah that uh, we, we set the right prognostication and somebody would see it. But it was iffy. It was, I've never seen a more iffy new moon uh, scheduled because everything was just on the edge of not working, just on the edge. Because now you realize, when you're watching for that crescent, the crescent follows the sun. They go down together. And, and uh, the sun, as it sets, draws, doesn't draw it, but it, it works with the moon, lights up that edge of the moon, and then the, the moon continues to go down. So if you've got 36 minutes to see it, and it takes maybe 15 minutes to get dark enough to get that contrast that you can actually see the crescent, you're, you're, you're also getting less and less of the moon. And it's getting down into that messy horizon stuff that always blocks out the low, the low sightings. So you get that haze that we always get. Well, last night was almost perfect, but alas, it wasn't perfect enough. So 
We didn't get to see it here, but it has been confirmed, as I said. So today we're observing a feast specifically about calling the brethren together with trumpets. It's a day of complete rest, the beginning of the seventh month. And we go 10 days to atonement and then 15 days Feast of Tabernacles. We're two weeks away, brethren, two weeks away. So much to do, so little time. But anyway, anciently, the Feast of Trumpets had great significance, returning people back to pure worship. And isn't isn't it fitting that this day could be about Yahshua's return to gather the saints to him in true worship? Could be. Would would Yahshua return at Trumpets or some other time? It's a lot of the things fit, uh, but... We'll have to see. I remember, if you remember back, it must have been in the 70s, where a guy put out a little booklet, and it says, 88 reasons that Yahshua, or JC, will return at the Feast of Trumpets, 1988. And he had millions of these printed. And everybody was talking about it. Until they weren't talking about it. And then he said, well, <laughs> I just kind of miscalculated. That's how they do I just miscalculated I was off a little bit in my, and of course he sets another date and that didn't happen. Uh, I always say, you know, if, if, if you're really driven by the Spirit, I don't think Yahweh's Spirit ever makes mistakes. If you're really on it, guided by the Spirit, it's going to happen. Well, as you know, Judah went into Babylonian captivity for 70 years, but once the king of uh, Persia, Cyrus, defeated Babylon, And Yahweh influenced Cyrus to allow the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall of the temple, as Jeremiah prophesied. Then things started to roll again. They weren't sitting there waiting 70 years. Can you imagine being slaves? We turn to Nehemiah 8. Uh, 50,000 people now are back in Jerusalem after 70 years of captivity. It's now the Feast of Trumpets. And something very significant is going to happen here. Um, It's now a time when people are going to focus again on Yahweh. And and Ezra, the, the scribe, the scribe was a guy who wrote for the prophet or whatever, but he's he's there, and so. He's, uh, they're going to do something interesting. He, he, sit, he stands high on a platform. I'm going the wrong direction here. His stunt. There we go. Hey, I can read the Bible. <laughs> All right. Um, Nehemiah comes after Ezra. Here we are. Uh, 50,000 people, about, are back in Jerusalem. And it's now the Feast of Trumpets. And Ezra, the scribe, is on a platform near one of the gates of the city. And it's the most dramatic and moving scene, I think, in the whole of Scripture. I, 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 just, I just love reading this. It's amazing. 
They're to understand why they were in captivity and are shown that it was Yahweh's laws that they had ignored. Nehemiah 8.1, And all the people gathered themselves as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which Yahweh had commanded to Israel. They found this, they were reconstructing and found the book of the law. And uh, they were, he, the scribe was to bring the book, and, the, and Ezra the priest brought um, Uh, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street and that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Wow. (laughs) Try to do that today, huh? All the people wanted to hear the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood a bunch of these guys. I won't go through their names. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, verse 5, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed Yahweh, the great Elohim. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. And Joshua and Bani and a bunch more names... Um, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. And they read in the book, in the law of Elohim, distinctly and gave the sense. So they were doing a, a Bible study right out here in the hot sun because they just wanted so badly to hear Yahweh's law out of his book. And Nehemiah, which is the Tishrath, Tersh, uh, Shathah, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, And the Levites that taught the people said unto the people, This day is holy unto Yahweh, your Elohim. Don't cry. Don't mourn. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Why? Because they had not observed it for 70 years. Then he said unto them, Go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. Send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy Unto our sovereign, neither be you sorrow, for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth. That's why we have in the title, It's a Blast, one of the reasons. That's what they did. Because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. To me, that's a very moving portion of scripture. It was customary for Yahweh's people to remember those who had less on certain days. A joyous occasion. Remember in 2 Samuel 6, David, when the ark was brought back from the enemy... David danced and rejoiced and gave everyone a a meal of wine, bread, and meat. And his wife, the daughter of Saul, says, you're nuts. Why are you dancing there in in your skivvies? He was so thrilled. And he uh, said, everybody have all the drink and eat you want. She looked through a window and saw him leaping and dancing. And he dealt 
among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as to the women, as to men, to everyone a cake of bread, a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his own house. See, giving is a way of worship. And David wanted the people to realize how important it was to get back in line with Yahweh through the, through the ark of the covenant. Get back into the covenant. That's why we, we offer to Yahweh on the high days where we're commanded to do so. And like uh, Brother Jose said, we, we, we could offer on the Sabbath like churches do on Sunday. But uh, it's just not our custom, I guess. People give at other times. But, but on these days, on the feast days, it is important that we give to Yahweh. And tithing is also a part of worship. As return to Yahweh a tenth of all that's already his. James 2.14, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and has not works? Can faith save him? How about that? The law said in Leviticus 23.24, speak unto the children of Israel, saying in the seventh month, on the first day of the month. Now, this is the law that defines the feast of trumpets. Shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation, a holy convocation? Coming together. Convocation. Coming together. The question is at times raised by why the Feast of Trumpets is called a memorial. I've often wondered that myself. Well, I looked into it. Memorial is the word zikron. And it comes from zakar, which has a variety of meanings. To wit, to mark as to be recognized, to remember by implication, be mindful, make to be remembered, honored by doing, all of these meanings in memorial. The main purpose for trumpets is to call an assembly to prepare people to come before Yahweh, to present Israel before Yahweh, to learn his instructions, to learn from what his word says, and to seek his favor at a specific time that he calls us. Where in scripture is the first example of the trumpet being used? Well, it's by Yahweh himself. Yahweh gives Moses the instruction to the people gathered at Mount Sinai, Exodus 19.9. Yahweh speaks, the people hear, the people believe. Verse 13, when the trumpet sounded long, they shall come up to the mount by invitation of Yahweh, personal invitation of Yahweh. And... How about another time? 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For Yahshua shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of Elohim. And the dead in Messiah shall rise first. Verse 17. That we that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Savior in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Savior. Just as Yahweh of the Old Testament came down to the mountain to meet with the people through Moses. Moses had to go up. His kingdom will come to earth and the saints will go to meet him. Ultimately, even Yahweh the Father, as we know in Revelation 22, is going to come down to this earth in the New Jerusalem to, to set up the earth as the center of his reign. Imagine that. The earth is going to be... And you know, we hear things like... I don't know if you heard recently that uh, uh, the scientists are trying to blow this asteroid. There's two asteroids coming toward this Earth. One small, 
one's big, and they want to ping pong the small one and knock the big one. And I guess they're trying to do it, as if they're trying to save the earth. <laughs> you know, we've had, they, t- they say that we've had many asteroids come by, whizzing by, we don't even know what they did. One, not too long ago, was only as high as where we put our satellites. Of course, it wasn't real big, but it happens a lot. And man is trying to save the earth when Yahweh is the one in charge of the earth. The holy city, the mountain, if you will, will come down to the earth. But only after a thousand years of earth, this earth is cleansed, removed of sin. The trumpet of Yahweh called forth Israel at the beginning of the redemption. And it does both again when the saints rise at the trumpet sound. Got to keep both of these in mind. Both instances, at Sinai with the return of Yahshua, the trumpet's going to announce Yahweh's presence, Yahshua's presence, Yahweh's presence, and to call forth the people. Our duty is to hold fast to the end, to be found worthy of that first resurrection. I'll close with Nehemiah 8, verse 11. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And of course, as we read, the people went their way to eat and to be merry because they were returning to Yahweh. They were returning to his worship. They had had enough of slavery 70 years. We should have enough of this world that we want to turn to Yahweh. It's only getting crazier and crazier. So on Yahweh's trumpet gathering... Let's have a blast. If you would uh, rise with me, I want to go to number six. We typically read this at the end of a feast. The Aaronic benediction, number 624. Yahweh bless thee and keep thee. Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. Hallelujah.